You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to continue our study. These are exciting times. Ventures of faith, following Jesus, relying on Him. And this is why we need to open God's Word and be listening to His Spirit. The Bible says that we live by faith and not by sight. And so as we go to Exodus 25, we're actually going to enter into the last uh, phase or section of the book of Exodus. Um, Don't worry, we're not going to get done in only one or two Bible studies. Uh, It's going to take a long time uh, because this last section covers uh, the tabernacle and God's presence and dwelling with his people. It's the least or the last of the book, but definitely not the least part of the book. It's so rich. uh, It's so full and uh, a lot of great things to learn. One commentator uh, said this about this section. uh, The tabernacle was a movable tent of meeting that God commanded Moses to build. God wanted to dwell among his people, the Israelites. He wanted to have fellowship with them and be able to communicate with them. Our God is a communicator. He wants to be with us. He makes a way. And so in this last section, we're going to see that this tabernacle was the center of the Israelites' camp. And it shows us, as we study, that God should be the center of our lives as well, of our family life, of our government, that this word tabernacle means to dwell. And when you welcome God in and surrender to Him, you really try and find true life, an abundant life. And we're going to be reminded of this over and over again, that God's presence as He dwells with us, Emmanuel, is such an important aspect of our faith that we truly are blessed when we surrender to Him. And so a quick breakdown of Exodus. Uh, we're going to jump into 25 today. 25 through 31 is actually Moses getting the um, tabernacle as described. Uh, and so he's getting instructions for that and how to build it. There's a little inter, inter, uh, interlude or a little break in 22 or 32 through 34 where the tabernacle is needed. And there's actually a few stories of the Israelites breaking the Ten Commandments and showing us our need for the Lord and His presence. And then it goes back into Exodus 35 through 40, almost like a repeat to construct the tabernacle. And so I think that's actually good because if you guys know, uh, when you came in, I gave a lot of you guys a handout. If you came in a little late, we have these handouts in the back table, the connection table right out there. Uh, On your way out, grab one. And it is a huge handout with tons of symbolism and even pictures for you, the tabernacle. So it's going to be good for us to take a little extra time to understand it. This book is sort of four big chunks. talks about Moses as the leader. It talks about the exodus or the ten plagues, the people of God being free, going into the promised land. Then you have the law section where there's the ten commandments, the ordinances, God's establishing the civilization. And now he wants to dwell with the nation through the tabernacle. Um, And although Exodus has been a long study for our church, man, it's not a bad thing to take a long time studying God's Word, (laughs) to have quotes, to take your time, to just go for it. I was reminded of this as we're only going to cover nine verses tonight and not a whole chapter because of all the other announcements and things. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. And I hope that this applies to you, not only as you get a study guide like this, but you hear a message and you're praying and studying God's Word throughout the week. Uh, The Bible says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God as one approved. So we take God's word seriously. One of our values is to speak life into one another. And that's 
primarily knowing God's word, prophesying, speaking full, full of life and truth into one another. And we should know and want to know God's word and his will for our lives. And so we continually do that as we're just going through and studying through God's word. One last quote before we get into the text, and I'll pray uh, just to get our hearts. I love this quote, what Warren Wiersbe said about this last and final section um, when receiving instructions for the tabernacle. He said, Moses is about to receive from God the divine pattern for the tabernacle and the priesthood. Whenever God calls us to do a work, which I believe he's calling us to do a work, right? He gives us plans and expects us to follow his will. Ministry is not accomplished by our trying to invent ways to serve God, but seeking his will and obeying it. I hope when we come to these Bible studies, you're actually wanting to learn not just history and cool facts and quotes, but seeing God's heart and understanding his will for your life and applying it. So let's pray for that, and then we'll jump right into uh, the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are with us, that you're moving. We pray for this time of our study. Continue to help us worship you as we've already taken a lot of time praying for the move, praying for our fathers, uh, praying for Lisa and mission work. Uh, Thank you, God, that life is dynamic like that. You don't just see us at a Sunday uh, service, but we have real jobs, families, uh, life, um, 167 hours besides just this one hour that we're together, hour and a half. And so we just bless you. We thank you, God, that you know how to minister through your spirit, through your word, to your people, and really speak to all of us at the same time. It's incredible. It's a blessing. And so I pray, God, that you would do that with the allotted time that we have tonight, and that you would continue to minister and speak. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Well, I'm calling this message uh, Contributions for the Sanctuary. Contributions for the Sanctuary. What's sort of funny is we just talked about moving and special offerings and stuff. This is just our normal teaching through the Bible. This is what I love about going through God's Word. And I've seen over and over again as a pastor, people come up to me and be like, did you talk to my spouse? Were you writing my journal? Was that a word of knowledge? And I'm like, bro, we're just talking about giving tonight because that's what the Bible says. Like you literally, we, last week was about the blood and this week we're talking about this. Like this is just what we do. But I believe that God is alive and knows his people to actually minister to us. And so I was so encouraged and built up by faith through my study. And just one of those things, it was totally God that gave us this meeting, this week of the principle, letting us know it would be more money and finances and all this different stuff. And God's just like, but I've always provided for my people. Look at the pattern right here. Look at the texture studying. Like, it's going to be okay. And I just love that. And I just feel it's just an honor and a privilege It's just an honor and a privilege to be able to teach God's word and to lead you to God's word in this systematic uh, study of what we do, teaching books of the Bible, Um, because we see God speak to us. He's sovereign. He's providentially working. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have our offering not be tonight, because I, I don't want you to think this is manipulation, but I want you to actually pray and seek God and just know that he's working and just have a grateful, thankful heart. And so whatever the Lord puts on your heart for that, uh, this is actually where we're going, how God's moving, and what we're going to do is read this text and know that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us tonight by these principles and the things he wants to teach us. So let's read verses 1 through 9 together. 1 through 9. And then next week we'll get into the Ark of the Covenant, table for bread, the gold lampstand, the tabernacle. Woo! you guys are in for a treat. All right, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, 
Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is our contribution. Con, uh, contribution for me. And this is the contribution uh, that you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, Acadia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, oxen stones, and stones for setting, and for the ephod, ephod, right? Ephod, ephod, and for the breastpiece. We're going to do a whole study on that right there. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its future so you shall make it. Today I want to give us four principles that we see in this text that we just read, this short paragraph of what's going on. Four principles about giving, or maybe you would say offerings or special offerings. Because this is what's happening in the nation of Israel. God is now wanting to meet with them and is making a physical special place so they can meet and enter into His presence. And the first point is this, the idea of giving is God's idea. The idea of giving is God's idea. We see it in verses 1 and 2a. Let me reread it again. Because the Lord is instructing Moses to tell people to contribute and be generous to the work that he wants to do. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. Now this is a little weird that the God of the universe that we've just been studying about and be revealing the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sustainer is asking his creation to contribute to something that he wants to do. Because God does not need us, but he is inviting his people to do a work. Psalm 24.1, it says that the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and, there, and all that it contains. Psalm 50, we often quote this is in the Christian language. It's a little bit weird, but he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Basically, it just means he got a lot of resources, Okay. But this is just like a little drop, like we, he doesn't need our finances, or our money, or those type of things. In fact, the Torah, the book that Moses would write in Deuteronomy, these first five books, he would declare who God is. In Deuteronomy 10, 14, Moses would say, To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens. The earth with all that is in it is God's. But yet God, who has everything, is asking people to contribute and it got me thinking, it's sort of like a dad who asks his young child to help him in a project. You ever have that experience? It is Father's Day where maybe your dad asks you to come into the garage or the shop to help with a project or to help wash the car. And you were so excited as a kid and you had fun. But now that you're a dad, you actually know that and it makes the job even harder. That they don't actually clean the window when you ask them to clean, you got to go back and do it, you know. It's sort of this picture in my mind where it's like uh, it would just be easier and quicker if God were to just do something, sort of like a dad just to do something. We know that God says it is done, but he doesn't work that way. He invites us because a dad is more concerned about fellowship in his child than a finished product. He invites the child in to do something for fellowship, to train them, to spend time with them, to be involved in that child's life. And so too with us, God asks us to give him, he says, for me, the text says, give this offering for me, for our good, 
Not that he needs it, but he wants to be with us. He wants to teach us and train us, and he wants us to participate the things he's doing here on earth. Remember, every command, every rule, every order, our statue that he's giving actually blesses his people if we obey, and we are blessed when we obey. And so God tells us over and over again in the Bible to be generous and to participate with our finances. He continues to tell his people the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 9, it would say this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. That you can actually honor God through possessions and things that you have with your wealth or your first fruits. But this is not just an Old Testament principle. It's throughout the New Testament as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. As for the rich, those that have access or more than just needs to survive in this present age that we're living in right now, charge them not to be haughty, arrogant, or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, God would establish in this covenant and in the Torah and even in the Old Testament this thing called tithing, where you give systematically a tithe back to God. Now, tithe is an old Hebrew word. It just means tenth, that you would give a tenth back to God. And I say back to God because isn't it him who gives all of us the resources we need anyway? He's the one that gives us the ability to work, the chance for money, for blessing. He's, the Bible says in James, he's the giver of all good gifts. And when he's giving these people that were slaves and had nothing this chance, he recognizes he gave them the resources. You remember back in our study when they left Egypt, Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 through 36, he told the people, plunder the Egyptians and ask for their wealth. They were so fearful, they asked for it. And what did the Egyptians do? Gave it to them to get out of there. Who gave them these resources that he's actually saying, hey, contribute and be a part of? God. Now, I know what most people say, but, but, but bro, I work hard for my money. I know you do. And so would the Israelites. They had resources, not just from that time, but they also had resources. Remember in our book, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 6, 16, when they fought the Amalekites and they had victory. The Israelites went down and Moses, when he lifted up the cane, he prayed that they actually were getting better and better and Joshua was fighting and they actually, uh, when his hands fell down, they were losing. And so Aaron heard, they came up, helped uh, Moses lift up the hands. And what does the text say? The Lord got the victory of the battle. So listen, you are a hard worker, I agree. But who gave you the ability or the life or the brain or the skill or the nationality are the timing, are all this stuff you couldn't control. God. God gave all of that to this nation, and he could have just, let me get that back. But he didn't. He wants them to recognize the material blessings and resources that he has actually sovereignly given them. And he wants us to recognize the resources that he's given us, the good gifts of a father, 
the good gifts of uh, living in a certain time and a certain age to be able to have the resources. And he does this systematically by telling people, give back to me 10% or a tithe and recognize my goodness and ability to provide for you. Trust me in the first fruits. The first, so you only have 90% to buy and you'll see him provide to trust. Because it does take faith to give God your finances. But he always honors faith, doesn't he? And it pleases the Bible. The Bible says it pleases him when we walk out in faith. In fact, so much so, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, says that we can trust God in our tithing and with our finances so much that we could test him in this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. People argue that this is just an Old Testament principle. But we just studied a lot last week, especially about the New Testament, man. It's all about grace, baby. And I would say, you're right. Grace actually says you give more than 10%. Grace says you give now an abundance, an overflow. And there is a rule now on your heart that you would give and live a generous life. You see, when it comes to tithes and offerings, Paul would actually address this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You should really study it. It's important for your walk with God and development and growth. Because he says, actually, under grace, you should be giving more. If the Old Testament was under the law on a to-do list, what would it look like if God changed your heart and you were actually obeying Him and being prompt by His Spirit and moving forward in that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. This is just an example or one verse of that section. It says, But as you excel in everything, because God wants you to grow in your faith, and giving is a spiritual discipline where when you do it, you do it by faith and it stretches you. It's an act of maturity. It's growth. So excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, all, and in our love for you. Most people will say, amen, I need a little bit more faith. I need to be a little more loving, have a little bit more hope, faith, hope, and love. Booyah, let's go, right? This is hands down, easy stuff to mature Christians. Like, I want to be more loving. I want to be, have more faith-filled. But it continues on, it says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And in the context, what this verse is saying is this act of grace of giving also. Don't just settle for 10%. Matter of fact, don't just settle for giving God money. Give God your entire life. That is a good sacrifice. That is pleasing unto the Lord. And Jesus even affirms the principle of tithing in Matthew 22 or 23, 23, and says that these things, speaking of tithing and giving, ought, not, uh, ought to be done without neglecting the other. Speaking of justice, mercy, and faithfulness, we should be tithing and doing good works and giving generously and growing in our love. And there's a lot of stuff we can do filled with the Spirit of God that He wants us to do on this earth. It's just not one or the other. It's all these things. But then Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew 23 in this text because they weren't giving with the right heart or attitude of worship. We are to give, but it's not a guilt now. It's a get. And this is why the second thing we see in this text in the second part of verse 2 is that God wants us to give to Him as worship. It does you no good just to give a large amount of money 
Jesus was like, hey, hey, look at that lady over there. She didn't give very much, but out of her heart, oh man, that's so good. And yet, Pharisees were giving a lot more financial contribution, but it wasn't a heart thing. They were just doing it as the law, and God doesn't want that. He wants to transform your life and for you to grow and be one of faith. And so another way of saying this is, God wants you to give from the heart, from the heart, because he cares about your heart. That's what the gospel does. He transforms our heart. He allows us to have a relationship with him, to trust him like a father with a son. And we've been adopted into his family. And so this is why in this text, if you notice, it says, for every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me, for me. God wants us to give because we get to, not because we have to. He allows us to give His worship unto Him. I wrote this down. We don't give to get salvation or blessing. We give because we are saved and we are blessed. That's why we give. We are responding. We love because He first loved us. And this is something God has taught me over and over again over the years to be generous and to continue to pray, I need a new heart. I need God to do a deep work in me. I don't just need a principle. I need the person of Christ to transform my heart by His Spirit. And I'm okay with asking God even to give me the right desires. Because can I be honest with you? Sometimes I don't even have the right desires. And you may not either. Like, I know my daughter is so generous, and she just makes me be like, I am a stingy person. I mean, I thought I was generous, but then like around her, I'm like, nope. I'm like, dang, God, change me. And you know what's amazing? He does. And here's why he wants to give you a new heart and change you, and you to be generous, because he is generous. We all know the verse, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. His only son that whoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You say, they say you can know how much a thing is valued by how much the price is given. God gave his only son, the greatest asset, person, being in the entire universe. He gave. He's a generous God. He's a giver of all good gifts. And as we lovingly give back to God, we're actually following in the ways of our Savior. We're following in the ways of Jesus. This is why it's called a spiritual discipline. Because Jesus told us it is better to give than to receive. This is why Malachi said you could trust God in this. Because there's a supernatural blessing when you give as worship because you're walking in the ways of God Himself. And we're made in the image of God. And God wants to restore humanity back to Him. So through the gospel, He woos your heart, transforms you, and then you're allowed to walk in the path of Him who is the greatest giver of all. Did you know that when you give, you're acting like God? You're pleasing God. You're following His example. Because God is a giver, he blesses, and he, it's, it's often said, will never be able to outgive God because all spiritual blessings are found in him. When you give, you receive that blessing. This is why some of us feel so good when we give because we don't often receive a financial dollar for dollar. I'm going to give dollars so I can get $2 back. No, God blesses us and even strengthens our faith as we trust in him in anything we do. And we know that one of the idols of the heart is money are the God of money, mammon. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. So in God's genius, he creates a system for us to give and to trust him regularly 
Not even saying give us all back, just trust me regularly and give to me. Proverbs 11.25 says this, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The NSAB, the approved version by Pastor Robin and Janelle, they, it says a generous person will prosper. A generous person will be prosperous. Why? Because this is the way of God. He is a generous God. And this is why God wants, us to, be, wants to be worshipped in this way, not to manipulate you. He wants you to see His power in your heart to transform you. And if that's not happening, then maybe we should just take time to do another spiritual discipline and talk to Him and pray. Or read the Word and get more faith. Because if we see God's kingdom, He's going to provide. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 told you it's pretty foundational it's pre-key chapters about giving it's sort of paul sums it up and says this the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver god loves to do a work in you he loves that you're not all don't have it all together he loves you depending on Him and asking for things and growing you. This is why we encourage you to give unto worship. We say, let's study God's Word. Let's, let's worship through God's Word. Let's worship through tithes and offerings. Let's worship in our fellowship time. Let's worship as we sing. These are aspects of worship. This is why I want to have a special offering so we can be people that worship God, that actually pray and grow and be stretched and let me just say, it's okay to give a lot of money. And it's okay to give a little money or none. God may just say, don't give nothing. You don't need to give me. You've been faithful and this is what I put on your heart. It's okay. No big deal. You know, and God knows. And so talk to him about it. And maybe even understand that generosity is not just with finances, but with time and with talent and with other things that maybe you could be generous with. But there is a blessing. Those that water others will be refreshed there is a principle that you will be blessed when you give and this is leading to three god wants to use our giving for his purposes did you notice in verse three through seven there was a lot of list a lot of fine things the next in the text there's a list of what was needed for the tabernacle and this new sanctuary Fine materials, fine metals, spices, oils, things. This is actually an exhaustive list, as we'll see and study, but it's to give the summary and to show us these are things of value. God wants people to give things of value to Him to show His worth. It's reminding us we shouldn't just give God our junk, our leftovers. You know, you can give God your best with your time, with your energy, with your thoughts. You know when you're dragging. You know when you are tired. You're like, I want to grow my prayer life. So don't pray when you're tired and about to fall asleep. You will do that, fall asleep every time. Like God wants the best. And he deserves the best. This offering was for his purpose, a sanctuary. And this is important to say because oftentimes people think their tithes should go to what they want. But it's not how it works. This is an offering that you give to God open-handedly and say, God, use it for your purposes. 
It's interesting because when you talk about a building project or something, I found that a lot of people are very generous towards building projects because they, in the back end of their mind, sometimes think, well, they were receiving this benefit from me. But we're told to be generous to God and let his, his leadership and the people use that for resources. And the Bible often encourages us to be generous and benevolence in people that are poor or to be generous for those that are doing uh, mission work and sharing the gospel. I, I remember when my kids were younger and being Father's Day is a joy to be a dad and to celebrate that. And part of, you know, being a dad is correcting and training uh, because basically I've been a pastor their entire lives. Um, and so my kids were young when we started the church. They thought all the tithes and offerings just went to either me or to us as a church. Like, that's how it worked. And I was like, that's not, how, that's not how it works. Now listen, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 does say that we should pay pastors, especially those that teach the word and labor in the word. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that word honorarium or give double honorarium, honorarium is a financial contribute that people should, preaching the gospel, get paid to do that. And we believe that hiring a pastor is the greatest investment that any church family can have. But we also understand and recognize that there are other bills and financial responsibilities for a church family, like insurance, or like random TVs, or like cameras and sound mics and wires and just random stuff, man. It's just so bizarre. You guys know because you guys know and you're filling the bills on your family and your income with this inflation, all that different stuff. It's the same with the people of God in the house of God, a local congregation. And one a big example of this is cost to actually gather as a church. And so it's God's money that we try to steward and invest and spend wisely for his purposes and his glory. There have been times when our church has been able to pay me more, to free me up more time, to do more ministry in that way. And there are other times where I have a few more jobs. That's okay. Ultimately, it's God and he directs his church. He's the one that gives and supports, and it's for his people and his good and his mission. And so our church gives to missionaries, helps poor, uh, provides for widows. These things like doing and spending your money on a building are not bad. And ultimately, what we need to do as God's people and what we do as leadership is we have to ask God for wisdom. Just like I hope you're asking God right now for wisdom. As you're seeing everything go up, not to have fear, but say, okay, God, do I really need this account? Do I really need this subscription? How can I be a good steward of the finances you've given me? Lord, could you give me wisdom over my finances and pray over those things? You know, I love this verse, James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. The Lord was pleased when Solomon wanted to rule his people in 1 Kings 3 and he asked for understanding and God's help to do so. And you know what? God was like, I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to give you because you have a great heart. It's okay and it's good. Don't be afraid to ask God for provision and then also wisdom as he gives you blessing because you don't just get to, to just consume. God oftentimes gives you things so you can bless others because we're to manifest our love in a physical reality. And this is the last point. God uses the physical for spiritual growth. This list was to provide for sanctuary, and it was the purpose and plan of God for these resources to go to it. So we need wisdom. God, what's your purpose? What's your plan? How do I want to invest? Maybe there's a friend I need to give extra, go above and beyond, or this, that, and the other. It doesn't always have to be a special 
tribute or contribution to an offering. You need to be generous with your life. But then it's like, well, we see in verse 8 and 9, God uses the physical for spiritual growth. Listen, God's heavenly wisdom is applied here on earth. As we ask for wisdom, we just read about it. He gives you wisdom for the earth and the life you live in. Talking about money and offerings, uh, we shouldn't shy away from it because it's a very practical and physical side of our spiritual growth. Verse verse 8 says, And let them make me, again it's me for me, this is giving unto the Lord, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God used something physical to bless His people spiritual, spiritually. A physical thing for a spiritual thing. God used a sanctuary, which was a physical thing that they were about to build, for His presence, which is a spiritual thing that God was going to build their lives. Too often people freak out about talking about money and think we should just talk about spiritual stuff in the church. But you know what? We need both. Because we're physical and spiritual beings. Our spiritual practices are actually manifested out in our lives. Our faith has works. We need to put our faith to our hands and we actually have a body and we should be talking about being good stewards and investing our money wisely. And Jesus in His great sermon on the mount actually talked about money and told you you should invest and steward and think through these things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, uh, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will also, or will be also. The Bible teaches that money is a tool. It is neither good nor bad. It is neutral and can be used for good or used for bad depending on the person and their heart. First Timothy 6.10 often gets misquoted. For the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Not that money is evil. Why? Because we see in this verse, God uses something physical for His purposes, which is a good thing. You can actually use money for the purposes of God and an offering to Him and to make a place for people to meet God. Rather, we need to be proactive to not place money higher than God. That's idolatry. That's what Jesus addresses in this this Sermon on the Mount. You can't serve both. You can't place money over God. And this is why Jesus said and continued on this text, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We can use money to be generous or we can use money to be selfish. And God wants us to be generous with our finances. So much so He gave us the system of tithing. And he tells us throughout Scripture, and the Bible talks a lot about finances. I was telling someone in our congregation, like, I'm, I like talking about money. I use it all the time. <laughs> so do you. You need money to live in this world, whether it be a U.S. dollar, a euro, or a peso. Like this, this is how our world operates, and that's okay, because we believe in a real God who operates in our world, God with us, Emmanuel. And he's able to take the physical and use this for his good like how we're going to take communion, which is a physical act. Or how when we sing and open our mouths, it gives us spiritual benefit. Or raise our physical hands. Or baptize someone, which is a physical thing. These are all physical things, and we, sometimes we try to split them. No, God holistically wants you to grow. 
Romans 12.1 says that we are to use our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of worship. And so this contribution, the act of giving, would lead to the presence of God as he would dwell in the tabernacle. Contributions for the sanctuary. The tabernacle was to be built according to how God described. And then this would give us great symbolism to Christ to point us to the great hope of heaven in his presence. Verse 9 would say, Exactly as I have shown you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. And this is what we're going to be studying and why I gave you a long handout for the next few weeks or even months. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Just like I said, I was going to have 35 minutes and I did it, but it's hard because there's so much in there. Let's take communion, but let's, let me just read you this last verse. Thinking about God's generous generosity and how he wants to lead us and to be generous. As we participate in communion and be reminded of the sacrifice that God gave for us and his blood shed for us, body beaten for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't shy away from money because to me, everything is the Lord's. Whole earth, my whole life, my house, my family. I'm not in control. Everything is a chance, an opportunity of faith to worship, to grow, to love, to serve. And so as God himself became poor for us, we, told, we so too in Scripture are told to sacrifice and to love people. And in this moment, in this text, it's talking about finances. But the Bible would say, go even more. To all your time, your treasure, your talents, and just give your life for God. It's better to give than to receive. And aren't you so glad that Jesus gave for us? Man, that's why we love Him. He loved because we first loved, uh, we loved because He first loved us. And we have so much joy and so much blessing because of his generosity. Let's walk in his ways. Let's walk in his ways and let's thank him for that. So if the worship team wants to come up, we'll close with one song, communion. We'll have the elements back in the table and we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us because we have a good God that lovingly gives graciously to us. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for all the moving parts of this church and even in our lives, we come together once again to worship you, to partake in communion, to be reminded of your great sacrifice. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for how you're moving in our midst and thank you how you've already manifested or shown your love towards us on the cross. May we humbly be reminded of that and may we just continue to walk in your ways. We thank you how you're alive and active and you're even changing our hearts little by little, faith by faith, Um, from glory to glory. Lord, we thank you for being alive, for not just dying, but rising again and walking with us in this life. And so may you be glorified as we conclude our service and our time together by looking to you and saying thank you corporately. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. 
Amen. Uh, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.